Welcome to another episode of Hughes from the Heart, the Spencer Hughes Positivity Podcast, coming at you from the woods of Mason County in the south sound of the Evergreen State. And we talk here about mindfulness, minimalism, meditation, the law of attraction, prosperity thinking, health and wellness, well-being, mental health, and small things like that, right? The little things in life that matter. We talk about all these great big topics and break them down for us in digestible bites every day. And we talk with great people too and fun guests and guests who are really really making an impact in their communities and in the world around them and in the world at large. These people are sometimes authors, sometimes they're educators, sometimes they're both, sometimes they're entertainers, sometimes they are movers and shakers. They all are having an impact in their communities and in the world around us. And today is no different. I don't think in all the years I've been interviewing people for almost 30 years, I don't think I've ever spoken with a Hollywood screenwriter before. And it's a pleasure to have one on today on Hughes from the Heart. Carol Hoffner, and we will get into her book Knee Deep, which was just released recently, and it's available for you to order. And we'll give you uh, the website here in just a second. If you like what you hear, please, please consider supporting the premium content of Hughes from the Heart. It was hard for me to do this because I hadn't experimented with the free platform. I am making my podcast available to the world for absolutely nothing, not a penny. You are here right now listening to this. It's not costing you anything. If you like what you hear, please go to the premium content. It's in the show notes, and I'll tell you right now, it's at Patreon. Patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes. Please join today. It'll make a world of difference. It helps keep the lights on on Hughes from the Heart. The uh, free content is there for you. I will never take it away. But please, if you like what you hear, and you know, maybe sample a few episodes that are in the archives and think of joining the premium content. Patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes. Carol Hoffner is our guest. The website is Carol Hoffner. Carol spelled with a K. K-A-R-O-L-H-O-E-F-F-N-E-R. Dot com. A delightful lady. Enjoyed the interview very much. And here it is for all of you on Hughes from the Heart. Thanks a lot for being here. Much love to all of you, as always. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here this morning. Well, this is a real treat because we're talking here, folks, with a Hollywood screenwriter and an author. And what, what is it like, first of all, to be a screenwriter? When I was younger, before I actually right around, the, I caught the radio bug when I was 11 and I determined I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. And so far, so good. <laughs> and I, I pursued that. But in the back of my mind, I took a lot of film classes in college and I've always been a big um, film buff and stuff. And that sound in the background, I'm sorry, um, it's it's our rabbit, our our kids bunnies they share the studio with me and they know when i'm broadcasting because they're quiet every other minute of the day except when i do a podcast or a broadcast and they want to add sound effects but i i long ago stopped editing that out because it's just a part of real life so it is now and as yeah. i told you before we got on three minutes before you called every fire alarm in my house went off no fire just went off to irritate me. So. Oh my gosh. And that's the, those are the most nerve-rattling, and I guess they're supposed to be. They're supposed to wake you up from the deepest sleep if there's a real fire, but I have never liked the sound of those smoke detectors. Uh-huh. And I, I think to myself, Carol, that in the 21st century, maybe we can have something a little bit different than that sound we've had for the last 50 years. I don't know. Something tells me they can still wake us up without being that annoying, especially when it's a false alarm. A, a song, I think. <laughs> Just, you know, a yeah, song we, would be yeah, we wake up to music. That wakes us up, right, in the exactly. morning for work? It, wor- it works every time. I don't know why it wouldn't work in those circumstances. In those- <laughs> 
So what is it like being a Hollywood screenwriter? You have uh, you have credentials um, for television and, and Paramount and Disney and all this stuff. It's fascinating to me because I, I always in the back of my mind thought I'd get into film somehow. But was this something you wanted to do from the time you were a little girl to growing up? Or when did, when did this bug hit you? You know, actually, I, I always wanted to be a writer. Uh, I think I did my first play when I was eight years old and... It was put on by the school, and I was, like, so fascinated by hearing my words up on the stage. And it was acted by, like, seventh graders, and I was in the third grade, so I thought they were, like, super professional. Um, But I fell into screenwriting. I had gone to the University of Texas at Austin to study film. Wow. And I took a screenwriting course on a lark. I was studying film theory and criticism. And the professor said, you're really good. You could do this for a living. And I thought, this is fun. I Somehow the form fit my sensibilities. And I think possibly because I, I have um, one of my strengths is the writer's dialogue. And you depend on your screenwriters to, you know, to be able to express well dialogue and to uh, to be adapt in that area. So I spent three years studying craft and won a national script contest That's and great. literally packed up all of my belongings instead of a in, and including a really old car into a writer truck and moved to Hollywood. Wow. To become a screenwriter. And when I look back, I think, oh, you were crazy. How, why did you think that was going to happen? But I always believed it would. And um, so I moved out here in L.A., took three or four meetings, and went on strike. Because <laughs> the writer's guild went on strike. Oh, wow, yeah. And so I became a uh, rock and roll secretary. And then when the strike was over, I got my first assignment. Uh, which was to do a rewrite, uh, which is often the case. That's often the the way in. And I worked really very consistently for 27 years, I guess, as a screenwriter. Wow. And it was only then that I sort of returned to prose. And Knee Deep is my third novel, my third young adult novel. So turning to prose was really the difficult part. Because when you're a screenwriter, you have very, you're limited, you know, because film is representational. Sure. And so there's certain choices you can't make. And when you go to prose, when you're writing a novel, it's like, oh, my God, I can be in anyone's head. I can shift time. I cannot. There's so many things I can do. And it felt like I had too many choices. (laughs) But I got over it. And uh, now I really enjoy moving back and forth between both forms. That's really cool. Knee Deep is the new book, and I love, I've only been there once, and our youngest daughter is almost 13. At the end of the month, she'll be 13. She was probably two when we went, so that'll tell you how long ago it's been. But I fell in love with Louisiana, fell in love with New Orleans, and I really want to go back. This latest book of yours is set in post-Katrina New Orleans, What is your connection with New Orleans? Did you grow up there? Did you uh, like visiting there? Is it just a place you fell in love with? I fell in love with in uh, with New Orleans when I was the same age as the protagonist in my novel, Camille. 
I was 15 going on 16, and we were there for a family trip. And my mother, who is, like, so super strict, let me walk around the quarter by myself. I can't even believe to this day <laughs> she let me do that, but wow. she did. And I didn't get into any trouble. That was the good news, although I have had many other trips to New Orleans where some trouble was had from time to time. But I fell in love with the city. I, I can remember standing outside the Napoleon house where I grabbed a bite to eat on a Sunday morning when I had been allowed to wander around by myself in the quarter and literally feeling the walls and just feeling history. I believe that when you're in New Orleans, it, you're, in, it, you're in no place else like in the world. There's no, there's no other place. You know you are there. The city literally has a soul and so it does you you hit the nail on the head i have not felt that with too many other cities it, it, it's not a given to me that every city has that feel no. they just don't but new orleans definitely does new orleans does and there were many many other trips as i said that i made uh down there and and through louisiana driving uh to new orleans from texas and when Katrina hit, I was in L.A. I was a screenwriter working, you know, in the midst of everything. And I was devastated. I spent five days on my couch. I wouldn't leave. I was watching CNN 24-7. And to the point that my family was really worried about me. I mean, they were like, you need to turn off the TV. And I was mm -hmm. like, I can't. I can't. And I knew I wanted to write something. And I took a trip shortly after and toured the city. I talked to people um, in bars and cafes and the folks I did know who had lived through the experience. And I came home and did more research, and I started the novel, and that was 15 years ago. Wow. And then I stopped because I realized that I should not be the first one to tell that story, wow. that that right belonged to people who had gone through it. And so I put it away for 10 years. Wow. It never left me. I always thought about it. I'd sometimes go back and reread, you know, the first chapter I had written. And after 10 years, I felt like enough, I, enough stories had been told that I no longer was in, under any kind of ob obligation to tell the story of Katrina. I could tell the story of Camille and what wow. she goes through against the backdrop of this natural and, and unnatural because a lot of the problems were post-hurricane so that I could focus on her and not just the hurricane. And so I, I wrote the novel. Wow. And how does this one differ from your first two? I think it is, uh, well, this one has been sort of labeled uh, young adult, new adult, and in fact, a lot of the reviews have even sort of dismissed it being a young adult novel, um, but more a novel written through the eyes, because it is written like a memoir, so it's written through the eyes of a 16-year-old girl. But it, it's a more mature piece, I think. Um, I was really writing the first two novels for young teenage women. I mean, that was my audience. That was who I was writing for, and I was very clear about that. And this 
this novel, I think, uh, because it has some deeper uh, themes mm-hmm. and uh, possibly even some harder passages. And although I have uh, gotten rave reviews from some 16- and 17-year-olds, I'm finding that millennials are really responding to this in a very deep and personal way. That's great. That's that's such a big audience, too. It's a very important audience. It is. It is. And it's an, I, I, I teach. I'm the chair of screenwriting at uh, Loyola Marymount University, which is a top 10 film school yes. in Los Angeles. And so millennials are my grad students, you know, and the grad students I had three years ago. And this is an audience I'm very familiar with and also one that I I so appreciate who they are and their experiences and what they're going to bring to the table as they mature and as they have real effect on who we are as a nation and uh, as a people. How is, um, going back to screenwriting, it's such a crazy time right now with the Mm -hmm. pandemic and Mm -hmm. a lot of movie theater chains closing altogether and stuff. I mean, I I think it's going to be hopefully not much longer lived. I think, especially once there's a a vaccination and stuff, I think things will start opening up more. But how has this affected, I mean, you're right there in Southern California, Mm -hmm. right? You're in Los Angeles? Yes. Yes. How has this affected that industry that has entertained billions of people around the world and then the thought that i don't think any of us ever thought we wouldn't be allowed into a movie theater and now that we are it's very very limited capacity and a lot of movies have had to kind of um retool themselves in Mm -hmm. in terms of release i mean we're seeing movies released in ways we never dreamed they would be this quickly it was always kind of on the horizon that they'd go digital and streaming and maybe eventually there wouldn't even be movie theaters. We'd all just turn our houses into movie theaters and watch movies on demand whenever we wanted. And we're pretty much doing that now with Amazon and Netflix and things like that and, and Disney+. Plus. How has this affected your industry in terms of, and not so much the writing, the novel writing end of it, but the screenwriting? What, what have you seen being right there at Ground Zero in Hollywood in, in Los Angeles? Well, the issue... The issue that the industry is facing has more to do with shooting and with um, distribution. And I agree with you that we've been moving sort of towards a streaming model anyway. Mm -hmm. I actually wonder, and there's sort of buzz about when we emerge from COVID, is one of the things that we're really going to want is a communal experience. Are we going to go back to the theater? Because we're going to want, there's something about watching film with an audience or with others. It's a different experience. And there are some films that are made for the big screen and made for that experience. There's others that are purposefully uh, crafted for a smaller screen, and even those crafted for your phone, you know. Yes. So, I mean, we call one of our grad programs writing for the screen because it depends on the size of the screen as to how you craft the screenplay. But for writers, interestingly, it has been sort of business as usual. We are very adept at doing writer's rooms on Zoom. It works. It does. So many people have discovered Zoom 
for me, for me, Zoom was audio recording um, hardware. I use Zoom recorders out in the field and things like that for podcasting. And, but I never knew what Zoom was until the pandemic. And then I realized everybody's been using this and starting to use it. Now, every, anyone who wasn't familiar with it before, they're familiar with it now. Uh, now, we're, we are all experts at what it can do and what it can't do and what you can do with a webinar and what you can do with just a regular Zoom meeting. But for... For the writer's room, I think what I, some of the showrunners I've talked to, especially those who have families and who maybe were away for 10 or 11 hours a day, they're really wondering, should we, even when we can be in person, should we have two days a week where we're on Zoom so that we can also be home with our families and not have to make those difficult choices? Um, when I was coming up through the business, I um, was offered uh, a couple of jobs on series, some really successful series, which now my grandson is like, you should have taken them. We would have been fine. We had people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then we'd have a second home and some stuff, you know. Um, but I turned them down, and I only worked in the two-hour market because I wanted to be with my kids and that's fantastic yeah it was i mean because i would i'd go in for meetings i'd go in for pitch meetings and then i'd get the notes and i would go home for six weeks and i'd be at home writing so i could walk my kids to school i could be with them and then i'd go in for another series of meetings and then when we shot i was generally on the set maybe three or four weeks and would bring them with me for part of it. So I was, you know, I was able to do both in a way. I was able to fashion my career that way. And I think screenwriters and um, are going to be just like a lot of other people in a lot of other industries and sort of discover we can do quite well combining working from home and going into the office or going into the writer's room. And I think they've even done studies where they've they've shown that that you're the most productive when you have time away so yes. that you and then when you go in. So I, I think we're gonna rethink um the working environment of film development and then in terms of distribution, oh my goodness, who knows? We'll be pivoting a lot of different ways. I wanna talk about something I talk about a lot on Hughes from the Heart, uh my podcast and on our shows and that's positive mindfulness. Mm. I just discover it's one of those things. I guess you discover things in their in the right time for you. I, I think back. I wish I'd known what mindfulness was in college, but that wasn't even a word then. I mean, we it's been around for thousands of years, but we didn't really talk about it. Same thing with minimalism and things like that. So I guess everything in, in its own time. But how does positive mindfulness fit into kind of the Hollywood career and novel writing? and screenwriting for you. What does it mean to you, and how does it affect your crafts? It is essential because it is a stressful business. Even when it's going well, it's stressful, much less when things take a downturn. Sure, I can imagine. And there are no, I mean, I've, I've said often to people, you know, I should have worked for the post office. I, I would love to have <laughs> that sort of stability, and I've never really had that as a working writer. You're going from gig to gig, and you can also be fired in a heartbeat. 
and you can pour your heart and soul into a screenplay and it is brilliant and it doesn't work you know they're failures as well as successes and so i i have found i use a lot of um different techniques most of which i've only really brought into practice i would say in the last 10 or 15 years but before that i was doing it and didn't even know it i mean i would I had a thing before I would go into a pitch, which is so terrifying. You feel like your your life is on the line. You're gonna oh, you, you're gonna imagine. pour out your heart and soul, and they can just go, "No, I don't want it." You know, it sucks. Get yeah. out of here. Um, so before I would stand outside, you know, the office, I'd close my eyes and I had a mantra that I repeated, which was, "They cannot eat my children." They cannot eat my children. Because that was the worst thing I could think of that anyone could do to me. And so it's like once I sort of accepted that that was not going to happen, I calmed down. Um, that mantra has now been replaced by meditation. I really believe in meditation. I do short. I, I, I wish I could say, I meditate an hour a day. I'm so good. I don't. But I meditated before this phone call. I, wow. I, I did a little short meditation, guided meditation on interviews. You you looked into me and you said, God, I need all the help I can get with this character. <laughs> so. That's right. I mean, I think it's, it's so important. And I talk to my students all the time about going back to the well. Oh, tell me and about that. What does that mean? That means that you have to, you have to, Feed your inner life. You you have to pay attention to your body and to your mind and to the the connection between the two in order to pour out sort of your creative soul. If you're not going back to the well, and going back to the well for some people may be, I need to walk on the beach three times a week. I need to spend so much time in the water. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I think, go back to the water. I mean, that's where we began, right? There's something comforting. I, I, I uh, just I just thought about that in the last few years where it struck me that our bodies are mainly water, our earth is mainly water, uh, just all these interesting connections with water that we've seen, experiments with water, and I, I think there is something very magical about water. In the, I'm a big um, student of the Tao, and the Tao talks about water and how when you try to squeeze it in your hand, that's when you lose it, right? You just have to... Mm -hmm. We should all be like water, really. I mean, that goes back to ancient sages who have said we ought to try to live our lives and move like water, and I think that's really powerful. I, I have even done sort of mindfulness exercises in some of my uh, classes before, you know, taking on a, a creative um, in-class exercise or whatever, where you're... Because when you create, you're really, you're opening yourself up mm -hmm. uh, on a lot of different levels. And it is, we learn to close ourselves up, I think, as we get older. I mean, I've, I've gone in and taught screenwriting to fifth graders. Oh, my God. That's, that's got to be tough, no? They are not closed up at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, there's so much energy. They're so open. They have no fear. But as we grow older, we do. And we, be, we are afraid of being judged, and we're afraid of putting ourselves out there. And I think that the only way you can really do that and that you can take the kinds of chances and risks 
that you need to take in your work Mm -hmm. is to be centered in yourself, to find that center. Absolutely. You know, whatever it takes. I mean, I I just, yesterday, yesterday, no, day before yesterday, I have returned to yoga. I haven't done yoga in eight years, I bet. Wow. Was it hard coming back? It's all coming back. I took the 30-day challenge, so we'll see. The second day was easier than the first, so that's that's all good. Um, But I I was really feeling, although I've been walking and doing a lot of stuff during COVID, I I was kind of feeling that I needed more more connection. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and I trust that I'll find that through returning to that practice. Wow, this is really interesting stuff. I would love to have you on again sometime, Carol. It's been a pleasure. Um, Carol Hoffner is a Hollywood screenwriter. She has many impressive film credentials. You can find on her website, carolhoffner.com. Is that the main website for you? It is. And that's Carol with a K, and Hoffner is H-O-E-F-F-N-E-R. And her latest book, her third one, is Knee Deep. And that just came out, didn't it? Uh, I, I don't like dating the podcast too much because somebody might be listening to this in the year 3025, so we don't know. But it, it came out fairly recently, right? This is exciting. Like two weeks ago. Wow, it's called so, Knee Very Deep. recently, yeah. very recently. And I, I would like to plug, it is, uh, it's published by Regal House. And uh, for listeners who want to support uh, independent uh, smaller presses uh, or independent bookstores, uh, you can buy it directly on that site. And anyone who loves New Orleans will especially love this, but it's a great uh, kind of coming-of-age story with the uh, backdrop of Hurricane Katrina, and it blends romance, suspense, Mardi Gras, which was one of my favorite things. I always thought from the from the uh, TV and stuff that Mardi Gras was about people burying their, their you know, body parts yes. and stuff, but it really is a family-oriented. Yes. Our daughter, as I told you, she was about two, and, and the people on the floats were throwing little stuffed animals at her. She, she walked away with, well, I walked away with about 100 pounds of beads around my neck because she was only two and she couldn't carry them all. But um, I, I was really pleasantly surprised how Mardi Gras is not really what the media makes it out to be. I mean, that, that's certainly a part of it, but it's way more magical and family-oriented than that. And the smaller parades. And also people think about Mardi Gras and they go, oh, it's Fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras is a season. It begins on 12th night, January 6th. It is an entire season that wow. the, the city celebrates. And uh, the, the best parts to me are the neighborhood parades and the way neighborhoods come together and celebrate. And how, I, not true for me because I don't live there, but people that I know who do say it's like every year you'll go to a certain parade and you see people that you only see once a year at that particular cruise parade you know and it's but you're part of that community which has always fascinated me about new orleans well, I'd love to have you on again. It was a pleasure, Carol. CarolHoffner.com is the website, writer and screenwriter. And uh, I, I think you're the first screenwriter I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. I've always been fascinated by the craft, and I've learned a lot from this interview. And I wish you the best of luck on this and your, your other books, too. And I'd love to chat again sometime. 
Thank you so much, as would I. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview half as much as I did. Carol Hoffner, a wonderful lady, doing some important work, and really, really enjoyed this episode of Hughes from the Heart. Let me know if you did. Drop me an email, spencerhughes.net at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard and you like what you hear on a regular basis on the free content, please support the premium content. It really is what keeps the lights on for Hughes from the Heart. You can join today at patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Spencer Hughes. Check out the show notes and check out my website attached from Buzzsprout to see other ways you can support the podcast, following me on social media and other ways. Thanks a lot. Much love to all of you. Have a fantastic rest of your day.